Welcome to the Evolved Nest. We talk about child development, human flourishing, morality, and society. You're welcome to follow us at www.evolvednest.org. My name is Mary Tarsha, and I'm here with Dr. Darsha Narvais. Thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Today, we are talking about moving toward wholeness. A very interesting topic. So first of all, why do we call it that? Uh, well, moving toward wholeness is something that I think we all want to do, but sometimes we get scared to do it or stuck somewhere. And what comes to mind is Aldo Leopold's description of his own life. He grew up as a young man, uh, understanding that wolves were to be eliminated so that hunters would have more deer. And so he says that uh, when, when he was that young age, he never heard of passing up a chance to kill a wolf. And so when a family of wolves appeared when they were out in the mountains, they all got their guns out and started shooting them all. And one was the mother and then the rest were pups. And he said that he reached the mother wolf in time to watch what he says, a fierce green fire dying in her eyes. And he says, I realized then and have known ever since that there was something new to me in those eyes, something known only to her into the mountain, which they were on. I was young then and full of trigger itch. I thought that because fewer wolves meant more deer, that no wolves would mean hunter's paradise. But after seeing the green fire die, I sensed that neither the wolf nor the mountain agreed with such a view. So he suddenly had a transformative experience here. And there are other people who have these moments when suddenly their heart is struck. They've been uh, behaving a particular way for a while, and then all of a sudden there's some signal. And here it is the fire in those green eyes of the wolf that signaled to him that there was some other way to think or be. Albert Schweitzer, too, talks about how he used to kill birds with a slingshot. And one day when he was aiming at a bird to kill it, the church bells rang. And then all of a sudden he was struck with the fact that he shouldn't be doing that, that that bird had a right to life as well. And so he uh, started on a path of uh, peacemaking. And what happened to Aldo Leopold after his wolf-killing days is he became uh, the first, one of the first environmentalists, so-called conservationist, naturalist, and writes about how we really have to pay attention to the stability, beauty, and integrity of the natural world and, and do, uh, take the actions that support those things or else they're really not ethical. So moving toward wholeness is a way of... Uh, structuring a way to move in the direction we want to go when we've gotten stuck or afraid and we need some guidance. Excellent. Thank you. That really helps clarify and give us a, gives us an, uh, a narrative and an example to help us um, kind of root what it means to move toward wholeness from those two examples. And so so what are some of the characters or, or content of, for self-mending, of moving toward wholeness? Yeah, in my 2014 book, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, I call this self-mending, the first step or set, series of steps. And this is where you take up a purposeful self-authorship, a way of helping yourself grow. You use 
novice to expert learning techniques. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means you have to be immersed in uh, examples and opportunities to so figure out where it is you want to go. What is it that bright light ahead that is attracting you? And how do you get there? So you find people who already know something about that pathway. And then you start to practice those little pieces of how to get there. And you have to select the right environments um, to train up your intuitions. So our intuitions, our subconscious, implicit assumptions about things, our attitudes are often subconscious, our habits are often subconscious, but they're trained up by the environments in which we're placed or in which we choose to be. So it's really important to select environments appropriate to where you want to be and who you want to be. So if you if you want to be a peaceful person and be sensitive to others, you wouldn't be immersing yourself in violent video games because violent video games are going to train you up to see threat and train you up to react to threat. And so you'll be heightened, hyperreactive to threat cues rather than being open to others as new beings, as unique uh, unique. Uh, people that you can respond to. Instead, things will look threatening to you because you've trained that up. So it's really important to select carefully where you're going to be because in the traditions of wisdom around the world, wisdom is about state of being. So you have to be in the right emotional state or mindset, that openness, that flexible attunement to the other in order to be wise. If you're thinking about your own self-protection, if you're feeling threatened, you're not going to be wise. It just doesn't happen that way. Your hormones are all, you know, focused on something else. Your, your neurobiology is directing you in a different direction. So it's important to pick the right environments. They're very powerful for shaping who we become. And then we have to really develop real uh, expertise, expert know-how. So there was an example a few years ago of a man who jumped, well, someone fell on the subway tracks in New York City and was in danger of being killed by the train that was coming. And a man immediately jumped down, rolled over, rolled the person over and protected them from the train and saved their life. Afterwards, people said, gee, why doesn't everybody do that? Why were the rest <laughs> of them just sitting around, you know, or standing around doing nothing? This guy was a hero. Well, it turns out, he had lots of practice. He was an ex-Marine. And so he had practiced those particular kinds of moves for quite a long time till became, he became an expert at it. And these are the things we have to practice then if we're on a pathway to becoming more compassionate, for example. We have to practice that to get there so it becomes automatic, as in this case with the subway situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that we need the skill and we need to be in the right environment. And I really appreciate how you talk about the environment, the social and physical environments, but also the mental environments in which we put ourselves. And so being conscious of what we're thinking, but also that imagination is a way to live. You know, you kind of you become what you contemplate, in other words. And so um, it's important to be aware of what we're thinking about and where we're putting our attention, right? That's right. And uh, what's helpful about the mindfulness training that people are taking up these days, paying attention to where you are, what you're feeling and thinking right now and kind of trying to let it go, 
but practicing that to get in touch with what's guiding your behavior because behind the scenes often we might feel afraid or angry or resentful. That's, I should have gotten that award or something. And those little things, if unless we're careful about those and try to um, acknowledge and let them go, they can control our behavior mm. and guide our behavior in the wrong direction actually, to be harm, harming others because we feel resentful, but we're not paying attention to the fact that we are feeling resentful. Yes, and sometimes those ruminations need to be expressed, so written down or shared with another trusted friend to be able to be released so that they're no longer occupying so much mental activity. Yes, excellent. Yeah, writing especially is good. You can let it go. Like in the middle of the night, you're ruminating over something. Just get up and write it down. And then it's like, oh, you already expressed it. Now you can go back to sleep. Right? <laughs> now it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so other things that uh, that can help us start on that path to moving toward wholeness are meditative uh, experiences where you are paying attention and then letting go of those feelings that come and go, the thoughts that come and go. These are uh, there are ancient practices for this in the Buddhist tradition, but in other uh, religions as well. And practicing deep breathing in particular, deep breathing, that's belly breathing. You can go to YouTube and find videos to instruct you on how to belly breathe. Uh, that's different than chest breathing, and it's really important to stimulate the vagus nerve and other uh, systems of the body. And I always, whenever thinking about that, I always think about uh, Olympic athletes. Athletes use breathing in the opposite way. Before a, a competition or running, they do short breathing, quick and fast, in order to stimulate the sympathetic. So if you just can think about that in the opposite way, if you're using deep breathing, it's helping you to relax. Yeah, that's great. All right, so if you want to run the marathon or something, <laughs> don't do the deep breathing, right? Okay. Right, right. But it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. Normally, though, you're not marathoning. Right? No. You want to be relaxed so you can actually be observant, so you can be open. But it is a way of monitoring if you're doing shallow, quick breathing, that internally you're in a state of you're ramped up, getting ready to, to do something very exhilarating. Where Maybe you need to be more calming, calming yourself down. Yes, yes. Very good. So there's other ideas in the book, but let's go on to the next piece. Um, sometimes we get caught up in a reaction. We see red because somebody's, you know, took the, the donut we wanted. I don't know. <laughs> Even us adults can get mad when someone took our fa takes our favorite donut, right? Uh, and so we have to figure out how to not start that little script of reactivity and being resentful and then trying to get that person back maybe by taking <laughs> their favorite donut. I don't know. <laughs> silly things like that. It seems silly, but, you know, our primitive uh, mind really wants its way. The id, as Freud would say, maybe that's one thing I like about Freud is some sense of that id. There is some uh, greediness in, within us that we have to pay attention to and gets ramped up if we really didn't get what we needed a lot in, in our childhood. And so it's more easily jumps up and tries to take over. And when we're adults, uh, hopefully you don't have that problem. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> so but that, if you do, you yeah. have some uh, strategies. Yes, right? that's right. So 
Uh, a lot of what guides our behavior, as cognitive behavior therapy knows, is the way we think about things. And we have scripts. Uh, things uh, look to us in a particular way, and our, we automatically categorize it as a threat of some sort. You know, it's going to hurt me in some way or make me less uh, valuable to the community or some feeling of... Um, Things are not okay, and, and so you can come into a situation and that kind of feeling gets triggered. Maybe you're bullied. Maybe you start bullying yourself like, well, you should have gotten that donut. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot, what did you do wrong? You know, kind of thing, and you bully yourself up into just submission. You just go sit in the corner emotionally, psychologically. You can't, you know, hardly function very well, not creatively or openly, when you bully yourself or are bullied by others. And so you have to learn to reframe things, to notice when that happens, figure out when those triggers start, and try to redo your script so that you don't go down the pathway of self-bullying or self-withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you highlight, you know, exactly what that, some of those scripts that we have, but saying, you know, that bullying and internal bully is saying, I'm unworthy or I'm stupid. You know, so many times um, those thoughts go through or other types of thoughts of um, not, not lovable, not appreciated, these type of things. Yeah, and this is what therapy helps you with, um, to go through those scripts and break them down and actually you realize, oh, that's kind of a silly script, or why did I do that? <laughs> and then you re, once you've identified it, just like identifying your feelings on a moment-to-moment -moment uh, basis, it helps you let them go. This also then helps you let go of that script and redo it and, and also nurture that child. Probably it's a childish, child-centered feeling that, that occurred when you were very young before you had words. And so you have to get in touch with that and then comfort that child and give them the love that they wanted at the time and felt like was uh, was removed or taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one way to do that, as you point out, is time point shifting. If you could speak a little bit about that. I think that's really helpful, a very simple and, and easy way to be asking the question, what will this matter in 50 or 500 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's helped me a lot in my life. <laughs> I didn't get the donut. Well, what does it matter in 50 years? Oh, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think that does help. So part of healthy uh, psychological functioning is the ability to move into a very focused, narrow state uh, when needed, but then to move to that big picture state uh, when that's needed or helpful. Uh, what happens uh, in um, obsessive-compulsive disorder is you get stuck at that minutia state, and you can't move out from it. So there's a kind of like a, a short circuit in your brain going on. You get stuck there. And then the uh, at the high level, the depressed state, looking, oh, I've never been a happy person. No, no, no. You get stuck up there. And uh, so the, the healthy psyche is able to move between them appropriately. And so that's where therapy can help you. But you can also help yourself. Once you realize that's going, what's going on, you can, you know, shift to the 500 worldview, 500-year <laughs> worldview. So that's, you know, what's the donut matter in 500 years? That's right. That's very, very helpful. You also bring um, some other tools such as the, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but the DSCO model. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that. Another way, very practical way of reframing Yes, this is Searles. 
I guess disco model, I probably, okay. what he says. And this, uh, you can respond to, diff- there's different ways that you can respond to a particular situation. You can uh, respond with drama. Uh, so that would be with emotion and blaming, you know, and uh, what we call in psychology externalizing, you know, blaming the other person for this uh, machine that's not working or the jar that's not opening. Ah, oh, what's wrong with you, jar? Um, <laughs> blaming them. Or you can uh, respond by fixing the situation, figuring out how to deal with the machine that's not working. Uh, and you can make a choice. Who am I going to be in this uh, situation? What role did I play in bringing this about to make this machine break, for example, right? And what am, what am I doing now? Whoops, I shouldn't do it, you know, treat it that way. And then look at the opportunity that you have to change and to be different in the future. So there's uh, this helps you uh, become more flexible again and more creative in your response to living. So these um, the choice and opportunity options then are really a transformational orientation that uh, – um, Cyril says that most people stay in that first one, the drama moment. They just get, you know, upset and they kind of go in this little loop of distress and drama and, and anger and fear or whatever it is that's triggered. Uh, so you want to get out of that. And so if you, if you think uh, of self-authorship again, you want to help yourself move away from that high emotion state and then start to think about what choices you have now. And what's the opportunity that's there? Mm-hmm. I like the uh, Marine. I learned this from a Clint Eastwood movie. He was a Marine that came to a bar and, and something wrong happened. And they asked him, why are you so calm? And he, he says, well, my motto is adapt and overcome. You know? <laughs> and so I nice. always say that, you know, when <laughs> things get out of hand, I go, adapt and overcome. Take <laughs> a deep breath. <laughs> that's, that's very powerful. And just in the last few minutes we have here, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to the analogy that you use or the story that you also use from the Dalai Lama and the concept of stress and how powerful this reframing and taking a larger worldview has upon your own physical and mental health, not only in the present state, but then even for for years to come. Yes, this story is from a book by Sharon Salzberg, uh, who writes about loving kindness and other um, Buddhist orientations to living a compassionate life. And she uh, tells a story that the Dalai Lama uh, told her, which is um, Tibetans were tortured by the Chinese government. And so specialists in recovery from torture visited Tibet uh, to try to help them out. And it turns out that you know, unlike other people who have been tortured perhaps in other countries, these Tibetans were not suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And this was remarkable to the torture experts. And, and the reason that the Dalai Lama pointed out was that those who were tortured actually felt compassion for their torturers during the experience. Hmm. They... Uh, were, were uh, trying to understand and be sympathetic towards the people who would even take up torturing someone else. And so they didn't experience uh, the self kind of attack on the self that normally you'd see in someone who's being tortured. It's like, you know, you feel like you're being uh, pushed out of the human race and um, eliminated and exterminated as a self, but not in this situation because uh, those 
who were um, being tortured didn't have that orientation. They were broader. They had that, that larger sense of self, of, of communion with the whole. And so they um, didn't, they, they understood it actually as a karma situation. So people who torture are actually tortured themselves. Something happened badly to them and they are responding that way. And so it's just the way the world works. So you don't take it personally. Hmm. So this is, uh, yeah, a way to think again that almost 500-year worldview, right? This is even bigger yes. than that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's powerful. And almost, I don't know if Salzburg would say this, but it's almost as if demonstrating some evidence of how compassion and empathy is like a protective mechanism or a protective factor, right, against not only stress but here trauma. Yes, and it's also that worldview, so it's the cognition of understanding yourself to be part of the wholeness of life, not just a self that's isolated and that you have to, you know, stand up for yourself or you're going to be squashed, which is the individualistic view that we kind of put into kids now because we leave them alone so much and we don't Mm -hmm. help them with relational connection very much. And so they get into this, oh, it's all about me and it has to be all about me because there's nobody else to rely on, right? (laughs) Right. But in these societies where compassion and the compassionate worldview is really well established, like, like in Tibet, it's a holistic perspective that's inclusive of the cognition as well as emotion. So Mm. what you think really matters here, and we've talked about that already, Uh, then your emotions then align with how you're thinking and where you put your attention. Their attention was, as you pointed out earlier, their attention was on the whole. You know, the whole world is interacting and there's cause and effect going on and I'm just one little piece of, of the whole. Why is this person acting this way, this poor person? Why would they do that when, when we're all connected and we're all alive and we're all part of the whole self? Mm. Wow, that's very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. We hope we've this has offered some um, helpful t- tips for all of you. We look forward to being with you next time. Thank you.